The music is provided by Calvary Quartet. You can have more of their music at calvaryquartet.com or log on to our website at gospelbaptistchurch.com. There came a sound from heaven, a mighty rushing wind. It filled their hearts with talk to you about one of my life secrets. I'm 63. By October of next year, I will be required to sign on to Medicare. October of next year, I have to sign into Medicare. They force you to do it. You don't have any choice. I will be 64 in a few months, Lord willing. And uh, I'm like a lot of you wondering how in the world I got here. My mother at 80-something, 85, said, how did I get old? I said, I don't know. I don't know. But one of the secrets from at 18 years old and 2003 cast out the street up in that corner bedroom where God came to me, and I responded to him and said, I'll do what you want me to do and go where you want me to go, and really, I want to be what you want me to be. I meant it with all my heart, though I did not understand the breadth and the height and the depth of it, that how could you? And, and I still don't understand it all. But I sure do understand a little more of who God is than I did then. And as I read through the Bible, God has given me certain, certain areas, certain scriptures, which kind of hang myself upon, to lean upon, to grasp and help me through hard times, and, and also to help me do those things which are pleasing in His sight. You notice the verse behind me here? We've had it up for quite a few years. Blessed is he that heareth the word of God and keeps it. It doesn't do any any good to hear this message or the word of God today if you won't decide to do it. If somehow, Some people believe that just having a Bible will help them. Having a Bible, it is not a uh, uh, some sort of a lucky charm. Uh, some people carry rabbit's feet in their, in their pocket and they carry a special, their lucky sweater, or their lucky, uh, they won't put a banana on the boat or something. Uh, they, they got all these like little things. But I'm going to tell you, it's God who gives and takes. Take your Bibles to Matthew chapter 10, verse 29 through 37. I'll read them quickly. We'll divide them up into four. I want to divide this into four parts. that I believe it naturally divides itself in. These are Jesus' words. This is an area of the Bible I've talked about and try to talk about on a fairly regular basis. Never the same twice. Because God gives me a different view of it, a different portion of it. This morning can help you. I can help you if you'll come to God and say, God, I want to be helped. I cannot and will not help you if you have hardened your heart in some way. This will roll off of you like water off a duck. It won't make a bit of difference. You'll walk out of here the same as you came or a little worse. Worst meaning that you've been exposed to the Bible and haven't responded to it, and that's a real responsibility I wouldn't want myself. 
And so we read here, it says, Jesus said, are, are not two sparrows sold for a farthing? And one of them shall not fall on the ground without your father. The very hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear ye not, therefore, ye are of more value than many sparrows. That's good news. Whosoever, therefore, shall confess me before men, him will I confess before my Father which is in heaven. And whosoever shall deny me before man, him will I also deny before my Father which is in heaven. I often will quote those two verses, 32 and 33. I will quote those at the end of a message during the invitation time, encouraging people to step up to the plate where God has spoken to you, where God has asked you to do something, God has asked you to step up for him. I try to encourage you, do that. This is it, do it. Think not that I am come to send peace on earth. Man, I hope you mark this. I came not to send peace, but what? A sword. For I am come to set a man at variance against his father and a daughter against her mother and the daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. That's not so hard. A man's foes shall be they of his own household. He that loveth father or mother more than me is not worthy of me, and he that loveth son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Father, we pray in a moment here that you'd come, in these few moments that you'd come. I don't want to speak here. I want you to speak. I've prayed over this, cried over this, asked God to come, asked you to come, and I'll come, Father, and do your work in Jesus' name. Amen. Publicly confessing Jesus is of paramount importance to God the Father. Because, after all, it was God the Father that gave us His only begotten Son and supplied Him as the sacrifice for your sin and my sin. Not His sin, but your sin and my sin. It was the Father who stood back and watched the beating and the spitting and the abuse. And even to a point, it says in Isaiah 53, something even past my imagination where it says it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He has put him to grief. God the Father in some measure in that whole thing of Calvary caused Christ to have the suffering that was due all of the sins ever committed. Like a great inverted pyramid, it stood on the shoulders of Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, who was prophesied all the way back to Genesis 3.15, that there would come one that would crush the serpent's head. And brother, Jesus Christ at the resurrection crushed the head of the serpent. And that's where he stands today. And he paid for the sins of mankind. Then he offers salvation as a free gift. Wow. Why is it free? Because you can't earn it. You don't deserve it. You can never do anything to get close to it. It's just way too big. Publicly confessing Jesus Christ is of absolute paramount importance as a born-again Christian. I'm, I'm Primarily, this passage addresses born-again Christians here this morning. 
If you claim the name of Christ, you claim Jesus, I'm talking to you. This passage is talking to you. Are you publicly confessing Jesus Christ on a regular basis? Ask yourself, don't worry about me. Don't worry about, don't worry about Adam. Don't worry about the rest of us. Ask yourself the question. What am I doing? What am I doing? The only weak link in salvation, wasn't, the weak link was not the Father, not the Son, not the Holy Spirit. The weak link in salvation is me. He saved me and then told me to go into the world and preach the gospel. Go into the world and preach the gospel every creature. Go tell others about the salvation you've received and how you received and what it is. That to me is a weak link. Because if I am silent, I break the link to those who need to hear it. Romans chapter 10 and 13, 14 says it this way. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without somebody telling them? A preacher. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. Every one of you that came here this morning, maybe, maybe and many of you do not understand how important this preaching session is. But it's through the foolishness of preaching, it pleased God to save them that believe. That's what the Bible says. And every one of you, in some measure, when you, when you publicly confess Christ and what he is and what he did and how they, others can be saved, are preaching and proclaiming the good news. But we're the weak link. And Jesus knew we were the weak link. And so he's equipped us with some motivation not to be the weak link. Ooh, we got motivation in this passage. We got real motivation in this passage. The only way the gospel could be ineffective is if we just are silent. There's a group of people out there that say, I can't talk about my salvation. I just live it in front of people. Nobody's going to heaven that way because the Bible said they have to hear, and they'll never hear if they're just going to watch you. And by the way, what makes you different from the Islamics? Uh, what about the Hindus? In, in, in India, divorce rates 1%. In a Christian country of America, 60%. Tell me who's living the greater testimony of the two. So if you're just going to live by your testimony, that's not going to work out too well. It's not biblical, and it's against God's will. Yes, you're going to live it. Absolutely. It will help when you speak it, that you actually are practicing what you preach. It will help it, that you actually believe it. That'll be good. Verbal is God's chief method of spreading the word, verbal. Second is written, and then you live it in front of people so that when you give them the written and you give them the verbal, they say, well, it's got credibility, it's good. But even if you don't have credibility, God is going to cause his word to have credibility in spite of the vessel. Glory to God, that's a good truth. If you're looking for a perfect vessel to believe, you ain't never going to believe. There was a vessel telling you the gospel is not a perfect vessel. 
if you look, if you're looking for a perfect vessel to be able to, I don't listen to him because I saw a flaw in him. Good luck. You ain't gonna ever find anybody without a flaw if you get to know him very well. Fear comes to discourage us from witnessing. The word witness is, is a Greek word, martion, means to be a martyr. You literally, to witness, have to die. You have to die. What do you have to die to? Ooh, you got to die to fear. You got to die to pride. You got to die to that little coward inside that's telling you, don't do it, don't do it. In the devotional and the call to glory, they put me towards the end of the month. I guess some of you just read it. I talk about the little coward in me. Little Billy the coward. And he raises his ugly head when I'm asked to talk to somebody about Jesus, and he comes up with some of the craziest things. They won't like you. They're going to reject you. Why, the fear of failure, the fear of confrontation, the fear of objections, the fear of rejection, the fear of division, all of those, the little coward in me comes up and reminds me that if I stand for Jesus Christ who saved me and birthed me into his family, who has written my name in the Lamb's Book of Life, who is now preparing a place for me called the mansion and is going to keep me forever, I cannot escape his love, as the song said, if I'm not willing to stand for him, that little coward in there is like, don't do it, don't do it, man, don't do it. Let other people do it. Let the preacher, he's paid to do it. Let Moon, he's paid to do it. Let Barrows. Yeah, I wouldn't rely on that too much. Jesus presents the need to be bold. He says you've got to be bold. Let me try to divide it up in four quick points. Ready? Number one. To get us to do what we're supposed to do, and that is to verbally speak the gospel to other people. He gives us an impetus. Number one, he says in the first three verses, I care about you. I really care about you. Oh, brother, brother, I need that. I need to know God cares for me. I feel lonely. A little coward in me says, you are alone, man. He says, they're not two sparrows worth a farthing. I looked up the word farthing. I Googled it. Google says farthing is the least amount of value in any money. So take whatever the least amount of value is, and he says, that's what a farthing is. In other words, it's nothing. Two, two sparrows are worth nothing. They're, they're, they're in, in this realm of things, sparrows are like worthless. Yeah, and, and by the way, how much more? Basically, let's say this. Sparrows are insignificant to our normal daily life. But he says your hairs are numbered. Well, that's even more insignificant. Numbering? Now, you accountants out there, this is right up your alley. You, they, God's number in your hair. You knew he was an accountant from day one, didn't you? He, you know, accountants will say, watch your pennies. You don't have to worry about your dollars. You know what? And they want every little penny. They want it to balance to the penny. Don't just round up, round down. Balance it to the penny. God says, I'm balancing the thing to the penny. I'm, 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 I know the numbers of hair on your head today. God, you seem to care about detail. You seem to be aware of who I am, where I am, because he says, I see a sparrow to fall to the ground. He says, that sparrow, as insignificant as he may be, and as cheap, 
and worthless as he may appear, yet not one of them sparrows falls to the ground that my father doesn't say, okay. Glory to God, with that kind of concern, with that kind of care, we should be able to tell that little coward in us, you are a liar. Fear not, for you're more valuable than many sparrows. Thank you, Jesus. A farthing. Wow. I think one of our concerns in witnessing is God's not there. I think that's one of the concerns. If I do this, what's going to happen? Is God really paying attention? And, and the answer is massive. Yes, he's paying attention. God cares. He's interested in the gospel message more than you could understand. God is paying attention. He's right with you. He's intervening for you. If you feel God somehow is at a distance, uh, you will shrink away from the, the uh, command and opportunity to talk about him. Um, it, but if you feel God is right beside you, if you feel the Holy Spirit is literally interpreting the words that you're speaking, oh, you're stumble-bumbling, you're misquoting, you're missing out, but the Holy Spirit's perfectly taking what you're saying and is interpreting into the minds of those people which you're speaking to, and he's letting them see themselves as he sees them, lost and undone, hopeless, helpless, and hapless without a Savior, in need of Jesus. And somehow when I've explained the gospel, however Poorly, I explained it. People, it, the light began to shine in their eyes. I understand, and I need to be saved. Can I be saved? And you pray with them, and you hear them pray and ask Jesus to save them. And you know, everybody in here that's ever led anybody to Christ knows it's a miracle. It took a miracle. Brother, when people get saved, I feel so helpless. I feel like I'm not in the room. I'm not even hardly in the game, except I'm just mouthing it. Because God has to explain it, man. I remember when Nick came unsaved and got saved. God had to explain that to Nick. Nick, Nick, he don't, he's hard headed. He, he God explained it to him. I wasn't around for DeMont, but boy, I'd love to have been there. I wasn't around, I was around a little bit for Jackson, some of the things God did. And some of you people I share with you, it's how God has, but, but it, He says, go before men and confess me. He says, number one, I care about you. I'm with you. I'm there with you. I'm for If God be for us, who can be against us? And so I'm with you. Oh, my. Second thing is confession. He says, I'm with you, and now I want you to go confess me before men. And it's pretty straightforward here. If you confess me before men... I'll confess to you before my Father who is in heaven, but whosoever shall deny me before him will I deny before my Father who is in heaven. I, I, that's pretty big. That's pretty big. I have used this passage to motivate me when I'm scared. I've used this passage to motivate me when I don't want to. And yet the Holy Spirit in me is saying, do you need to talk about me to this person? And I'm, I'm like, well, now I got, you know, how about next time? How about, you know, I'm trying to come up. And then I'm thinking, well, if you confess me before, man, I'll confess you. Oh, one thing, a young man at 18 years old, I said, Jesus, I want to be, I want to confess you before, man. I want to be the one that is, is I'll be able to stand before you someday. And you'll say, uh, this is William J. Lytell. He's one of mine. He confessed me before man. Before all of the myriads of angels. Me? Yeah. If you'll confess Jesus before 
man, he'll confess you before his father, which is in heaven. It don't get bigger than that. I don't think it could be a more motivation than that. The phrase confess me is interesting in the Greek. It says confess. It can be translated confess in me. In other words, you confess Jesus Christ because it is intuitive to confess him. Now listen to me for a second. It's not faking it. It, it's something that is burning in your bones. It, it, I am in Christ Jesus if I'm born again. The Holy Spirit is in me, and the Holy Spirit wants to tell them about Jesus, but he won't do it without me. He does it through me. And so when I say I don't want to speak, the Holy Spirit is burning in me to speak about Jesus to them, and it becomes intuitive, meaning from the inside out, that I feel compelled to speak. And if I don't, I immediately become ashamed that I didn't speak. It's intuitive. It's intuitive. It comes, it's because I'm abiding in him and he's abiding in me. And consequently, I'm I'm confessing Christ because it's just as natural for me to confess Christ as it is for a baby to go for the bottle or a baby to go for the mother's breast if you're breastfeeding. New generation. But I mean, it's just, if a baby doesn't eat, you know immediately something's wrong with that baby and the baby will die. And brother, you and I get born again. It's as natural for you to go to other people and say, hey, you know Jesus is your Savior? Hey, have you ever been saved? Hey, do you know what it means to... It's as natural. You say, well, brother, I got I to gotta, I gotta force it. Well, there's a lot of natural inhibitions, but brother, if you don't have the burning of God in you, I'd want to get, maybe you need to get saved. Maybe you need to get saved. I don't know. But the Bible is clear. I know Jeremiah, in Jeremiah chapter 20, it says, I will not make mention of him nor speak any more in his name. How'd that go for Jeremiah? Well, here's what he says. But his word was in mine heart as a burning fire shut up in my bones, and I was weary with forbearing, and I could not stay. I like that. Jeremiah says, I ain't going to speak him. By the way, I don't. do you blame Jeremiah? You all read Jeremiah? Woo, doggies, you talk about resistance. He says, I'm not going to say anymore, man. These people, are, they're about ready to kill me. God says, try not to talk. I'll make you so cotton-picking miserable. I'll burn in your soul, and you'll go to bed upset, and you'll get up upset, and you'll have to speak. You know, one of the reasons I go door to door, one of the reasons I pass gospel tracks out, one of the reasons I care about gospel being, because there's a fire in my soul. He cares. He tells us to confess. Thirdly, he tells us there's going to be confrontation. Now, this is interesting. You would think, if you're trying to motivate people to confess, that you would, you know, paint a sweet, you know, nice little picture. If you confess me, what's, what's the picture? He says, I don't come for peace. I come for a sword. He says, here's the way it's going to go if you confess me before men. Your mom and dad are going to be the first to resist you. Closest people in the world, your mom and dad. Then your father-in-law. Well, that didn't surprise you, did it? Your father-in-law resists you. Your mother-in-law resists you. 
and, and, and your daughter-in-law will be a set at odds with her mother-in-law. And, and it won't be the in-laws, it'll be the outlaws. And they will hate you, they will resist you, and it'll start from the family, and it'll work its pyramidally down. And you can expect to have confrontation. Number one, he says, I care about you. The most minor things that you think I care and I'm there. He says, but you need to confess me before men. And with this confession, you will have confrontation. And it ain't going to be without confrontation. People come to me and says, well, I can't stand confrontation. And I go, look at me. Does it look like I like confrontation? I'm that mean looking? I mean, do I look like I just like to get my head beat in? Well, I don't go door to door because I don't like confrontation. Join the crowd. But you know what we do like? If you confess me before man, I'll confess you before my Father, which is in heaven. We like that. And we like the fact that the Spirit of God is burning within us saying, do this. I love it when people come to door to door and they say, oh, brother, I'm just here by the skin of my teeth. I mean, I had everything go wrong with me. I got diarrhea. I've had to knock on people's home. Yeah, I use your restroom. They don't know me from Adam. I'm desperate. What's wrong with you? I'm going to dirty my deities if you don't let me in. Oh, it's not funny. When you're the one at the door, it ain't funny at all. There ain't no funny in it at all. There ain't no funny. There's just sweat coming down you, and it ain't, it ain't hot out. I could tell you problems I've had going door to door and sufferings I've had that I share with no one. And I still going to go. I said a long time ago, devil, and I'm talking to the coward in there, you will have to shoot me to stop me. Because I want to confess Jesus. And it's a great opportunity. That's just one way. But I want to confess Jesus. So he says, he says you're going to have resistance. You're going to have a resistance from your family. You're going to have resistance from your friends. You're going to have resistance from your coworkers. You're going to have resistance from the circles. It gets wider. It will not be a peaceable thing. It will cause division. Uh, I'm sorry about that, but I came to cause division. Uh, Jesus uh, did not come to have everyone like you. He was not hated, beaten, spit upon, crucified, and rejected of his own people so that you could be loved, liked, and pampered. The servant is not greater than his master. If they did that while the green tree was green, what will they do when it's dry? And we're the dry. Ooh, how much more will they do to you? We know he cares. He's told us to confess him before man. Promised us he'll confess us before our Father which is in heaven and warned us that he'll deny us if we deny him. And he says, don't expect a cakewalk. It's going to have resistance. You're not going to be above me. 
You're not going to, I'm what I suffer. You're going to suffer a lot of the same. It says in Colossians, we fill up that which is behind in the sufferings of Christ. And then lastly, we're to be committed. Now, you know he cares for you. You're told to confess him. You know there's confrontation coming. But if you don't do point number four, the last verse, you're going to miss it all, and you won't do it. And that is, you cannot love your mother and father more than me. You cannot love your children more than me. Oh, people, oh, people, oh, people, have I seen this? I've seen people be, I've seen born again Christians be guided away from God because mom and dad. I've seen them guided away from God because they're kids. I, I, I had uh, somebody that God called to the mission field, and his parents called me up and says, Can you convince him not to go to the mission field? I want to. I'll never see my grand. I'm not going to see my grandkids physically because it was uh, halfway around the world. I'm not seeing my grandkids. Quit thinking about your grandkids. Start thinking about the lost. Get out of yourself. Get into something bigger than you and your little family. We're children of God. I mean, birth-wise, we're all of the same Noah. Are we not all family today, Noah? Those kids we brought in on a bus are no, no worse than your kids. And they're no better than your kids. And they need to be saved like your kids need to be saved. And we need to care about those kids like you care about your own children. That's why he says, if he that loves mother, father more than me is not worthy of me. You love your kids more than Jesus. You are not worthy of Jesus. Is that what it says? Am I making this up? Am I exaggerating? So the question is, will you do it? Because the Holy Spirit come by you this morning and said, you know you need to do this. You know you need to do this. You need to start confessing to your neighbor. You need to start confessing to your friends. You need to start confessing to your people at work. You need to start confessing to the gas station attendant. Well, I went back on that one, didn't I? What gas station attendant? They don't pump your gas anymore. Well, if he was there, I'd tell him about Jesus. In North Dakota, I learned something. They still pump gas in North Dakota. Can you believe it? I think by law, they still pump gas in North Dakota. Um, why? I have no idea. But they still pump gas. Maybe because they got all the money. They got all the oil. But in North Dakota, they, we drive in and they, they fill your tank. I used to do that. I'm here working at a gas station when you're a kid. I pump gas at 15 cents a gallon. That's when I quit. 15 cents a gallon. How many here? How many here? 15, 15, 15, 14, 14, 14. What's the lowest? Do anybody pump gas at 10 cents? 12 cents. 
Billy, what you bumping at? 12 cents, okay. You old, you young people, Chris looking at us and going, man, what could I do with that extra money? My wife could have a couple more pairs of shoes. Oh, no, I'd buy some fishing rods. Will you make a decision for Jesus? Will you honestly, this, is a, this isn't about me. This isn't about Gospel Baptist. This is about Jesus Christ and you. This is about will you confess him before man? Will you? He's given you every impetus. He cares about you. You know what to say. He's warned you about the conflict and confrontation division already to come. And he told you, look, you're not even worthy of me if you won't love me more than anything. You, nobody's been better to me than Jesus Christ. Father, help us today to get it. Soak it with the blessed Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. And the night.